0: All right, uh, we're going to be talking about Peter, Second Peter today, um, in our series. So if you guys want to get your Bibles out and turn to Second Peter, Peter is an amazing character. He is probably the most salty character in the Bible. He is somebody that, like, if he was coming to our church, like he would fit in well, but some of us might not like him. Because he's just a little rough around the edges. He, say, he says what's on his mind. Uh, we would probably view him as having a short temper. But Jesus saw him as a man of passion. So if you have a short fuse, there's good, there's good news for you today. If you lose your temper, God can use that personality cork Because that's how he designed you. So he's going to take your short fuse and your bad temper, and he is going to transform it into passion for you today. He made you that way. He needs you to be passionate. God needs passionate people. And so don't beat yourself up today if you feel like you're a hothead. Just um, let this message sink in and use a little self-control and become that passionate person that God's called you to be. All right, um, I'm sitting down today. If it's your first time, I usually don't sit, but uh, I'm recovering from surgery, and I just don't know if I can stomp around this morning. We'll see how I do. So if uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes on me and I get up, then I'll be good, right? But, uh, but I'm doing good, getting better each and every day. All right, uh, let's, uh, there's three chapters to Second Peter and basically there's three main points chapter one talks about uh peter's call to us to commit to growing to becoming spiritually mature he's just, it's, a, it's a, he challenges us to grow to develop a lifestyle of growth chapter two talks about the deception that was within the church So there is deceiving people, even deceiving spirits, that kind of sneaks in and infiltrates church life and and it undoes what Jesus has has started. So he says you need to pay attention to those things. And then chapter 3 talks about the end times and the day of the Lord, which is judgment day. And that's where we're going to start off. So we're going to start off at the end and we're going to work our way forward. So if you want to get your Bibles out again, turn to chapter 3, verse 1. Here's the heavy stuff, dear friends. This is how. This is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. This is, is kind of cool. Peter says, "I want you guys to change the way you think." He's writing from Rome. He's about to. He, th- he knows he's going to die. The emperor Nero is about ready to blame everything on Christians and burn them all. And Peter's about ready to get hung upside down on a cross for his faith. But Peter says, I want you to change the way you think. Let me stimulate your thinking. And I believe that this is for us today. We need to stimulate our thinking. No more stinking thinking. You need to start thinking the thoughts of Christ, to have the mind of Christ. And he begins here, and he has to uh, confront some pretty important things. All right. I want you to recall the words spoken in, in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through the apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Does this sound familiar? You feel like um, people making fun of you? you? Do you turn on the TV and it's like people are making fun of Christians? Facebook is prime territory for scoffing. This is what they're making fun of, this is interesting. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since your father's died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water by water. Now what's going on is the scoffers are saying, oh you Christians, you guys are so Christian." Where's Jesus? Where, where is it? Because you've been preaching that he is coming back. Why hasn't he come back yet? Sound familiar? Remember years ago, I think well, the, the 80s, maybe 90s, when all the left behind books came out? And we were pretty certain that Jesus was coming back next week. He's not coming back next week. He's coming back tomorrow. But... Um, we were, we were convinced that he was coming back anytime. And there were classes and books and, and prophets that were prophesying to the day and sometimes to the hour when Jesus was returning. And guess what? He did not come back on Y2K, did he? Remember Y2K? Yeah? Do you still have, have a generator and uh, food in your basement from Y2K? Remember that? The world was going to end. California was going to split off and sink into the sea. It didn't happen, did it? And the world makes fun of us for our imaginations at times. And so the same thing is happening in the ancient world. They're saying, wait a minute. Uh, you, are, you have been preaching to us that Jesus is going to return. So where is he? Why hasn't he come back? Why has he not answered his promises? Why hasn't he fulfilled his promises? Down to verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And as some understand slowness, he is patient with you, can I get an amen? amen? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come into repentance. Verse 10: The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear in a roar, or a trumpet. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this I told you this was heavy. You guys getting depressed yet? Don't wait. I'll, I'll, I'll fix it in a minute. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. So here's the thing that we just don't like. This is the thing this is the this, the very same issues that we face today are the very same issues the ancients were facing. They are saying there is going there is no last judgment. There is no end of the world as you proclaimed. There is no second coming of Christ. If that was true, then we would be we would be experiencing it now. And Peter says, you guys are thinking like mortal Christians, like mortal people, like a day is like a thousand years. A day is like a thousand years for the Lord. This is, this is difficult. I mean, the ancients had a problem with it. Let's think about us having a problem with that statement because we live in a fast food culture, right? We have to have it and we have to have it now. We don't know how to postpone pleasure. We must get our fix now. We must get our, our, our pleasure hit now. If you don't believe me, just look how addicted you are to your phones and, and the stimulus that comes in when somebody likes you. or You know what I'm saying? So this is the type of, uh, this, is, this is probably more relevant to us than it was for the ancients. Uh, Jesus is telling us today, slow down, be patient. You, the answer to your prayers, they will come. You want them to come now. But God might want them to come a little bit later. A little bit later so that your character will grow. So that you will be more influential. So that you'll have a powerful testimony. I don't understand the ways of the Lord, but these are just some of them. This is some of the reasons why. You can ask God, why have you answered my prayers? But I want to encourage you to continue to have faith that he will. Because he's promised us this. We've got to quit thinking in our linear way. Um, just like the ancient world, we have a problem with being judged, right? No one wants to be judged. It's not a very popular sermon topic for me to tell you that when you die, Jesus will judge you, right? When was the last time I said that on a, on a, from the pulpit, right? Well, we don't like to talk about that. No, but this is true. The reason why Peter's talking about it is because they forgot about it. They forgot that Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Now, I got some good news for you. If Jesus judges you, that's a good thing. You actually want that. That's good news. Good news for you if you get judged by Jesus because that means that you're going into heaven. Now, he will ask you some very specific things. I don't know what they are. Bible doesn't tell us. Well, it does say that, that he will uh, judge us for the things that we did and the things that we did not do. So let me let you ponder that one for a minute. There, forget about the things that you did in college. We'll talk about that in a second. Forget about the things that you did. I want you to think about the things that you have not done yet, that God is calling you into I want to encourage you, if God has planted a seed in your heart, if he's giving you a desire for the gospel, to spread the gospel, the good news, to share your faith, to give hope, to give a defense for your faith, you have to do it. He's calling you to do it. You want to be able to stand in his presence and, say, and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. All right? It's good to be judged. And we think, well, it's just not fair. Why would God want to do that? Why would God judge us? We are all good people, right? I'm a good person. I don't need to be judged for the things I did and didn't do. Why is God such a meanie? Uh, God is not a meanie. He is good and he is just, right? So you might think that, well, I don't really feel like I should be judged. Bible says don't judge, so I don't want to be judged, right? It's just kind of a negative thing in our culture. But, how many people want ISIS to be judged? Right? How many people want the Taliban to be judged? If they, if the, how many people want Hitler to be judged and Stalin to be judged? We do. Why? It's because we are built in God's image and we demand justice. And God will pour out his justice. When it says that the end of the world will happen and everything's going to burn up, um, the way... I mean, it looks like, you know, God's just going to evaporate the, the you know everything that's material. But what really is being communicated is that there's going to be an exposure. There's going to be a revealing of God's complete plan and God's complete goodness and the enemy's plan and the enemy's goodness. How many people feel like you're confused in life? Like you don't understand where you're going. You don't understand what is good and what is bad. It's just like... Why are all these bad things happening to me? Why did I go through this horrible thing? Some of us, I know this because I talked to a lot of you. Some of us have experienced pain and hardship that's just not fair. And yet you're here worshiping the Lord. And you might not know why you went through that horrible thing. But at this time, at this point, the day of the Lord, everything will be laid bare. You don't have the brain to understand pain right now, but someday you will. Someday you will. God is just. It would be against his nature not to judge evil. And if he has to judge evil, he has to judge you and me as well. That makes sense? All right, so that's the general uh, drive and uh, focus on chapter 3. In verse 8, he says this, which we kind of need to get into our heads because this is important. He says, All right, the world is going to end. People are going to go to heaven. Those that don't want to be with Jesus, they're going to go somewhere else. Again, hell gets a bad rap. Uh, It would be. If you did not love Jesus and he forced you to go to heaven, that would be your hell. Does that make sense? Remember when you were seven years old and you were forced to go to Aunt Gertrude's house for Thanksgiving, right? Remember that? With her nine cats and smelly couch. Remember when you had to go to do that? But, verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Savior. To him be glory forever. Amen. All right, so he's saying, look, it, this is going to happen. It's good. We need to, we need to not deceive ourselves. We not need, we don't let this false deception come in saying that, that God is not just. But you, but you, you grow in grace. The grace that save you and the grace that's going to empower you, empower you to, believe it or not, success. Chapter two is very interesting. Peter, again, he's an amazing character. Um, wonder. Like I said, he probably drive most of us nuts. He is, doesn't have a problem speaking his mind. He definitely does not have a problem putting his foot in his mouth. Anybody ever do that? Like where your filter is just off and you just say what's ever on your mind? Well, that was Peter. And Peter, again, he was, we're just going to call him passionate, but he also had a temper. Remember the story where, where uh, uh, Jesus was being hauled off for his crucifixion and Peter snaps, right? Like he loses his temper, he snaps, and he, and he chops off uh, Malchus's ear, right? The, one of the soldiers. He takes up his sword and he says, "I, I am not standing for this." and he, he just does it the wrong way. I think here he's doing it the right way, where he would once pick up a physical sword. Now he's picking up the pen. What does they say? Who's that The Longfellow who says, that? "No, it's Shakespeare. duh." Shakespeare says that the, the pen is, is more powerful than the sword, right? And this is what Peter is doing. He is becoming unhinged in chapter 2. He is losing it. He is pulling out his sword, and he's chopping some ears off here because what has crept into the church, what's crept into his communities, is false doctrine and bad teachers, teachers that are saying, don't worry about the end of the world, you're not going to be judged, False teachers in this instance, they are preaching freedom. They're preaching grace, but they're preaching it without limits. And more importantly, they're preaching a message that does not include Jesus. So if you ever hear a message of grace that's preached without the cross, uh, run. It's, it's not of the Lord. It's not of God. And we have elephants upstairs. <laughs> All right, chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord. He's losing it right here, right? This is where Peter's becoming passionate. Because they're denying Jesus. Then he goes on to basically calling them a bunch of names. He says they're a bunch of dumb animals, like your bulletin cover. That's where we came up with the bulletin cover because they're all animals. But here's the interesting part. Let's skip down to verse 15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But they re- But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So the way of Balaam. If you were here with us for John and Jude, this way of Balaam, these prophets, these false prophets, they are prophets for hire. They do spiritual things for money. They actually... They actually get their, uh, their stimulus from power and they like the greed that, that comes along with it. Uh, what did they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is what has happened to these prophets. Balaam, in the, in the book of Numbers, when he, the donkey calls him out, Balaam was a legitimate prophet of God who heard God's voice, understood God's will, but that wasn't good enough because he liked money. Profit for hire. And the bad guys hired him to curse God's people, but he couldn't do it. It's kind of a funny scene. He tries to curse God's people, but instead of cursing God, it, like he opens up his mouth, God's will comes out and he begins to bless them. He says, this isn't working. I cannot curse God's people. Isn't that good news? Do you know, like even the mockers, even the scoffers, they try and curse you. They try and tear you down, but they can't. You need to allow them to run their mouths and because eventually they're going to bless you. The way of Balaam, the guy that wants money for doing a prophetic message, will appeal. If he can't get into God's word, he will appeal to fleshly desires. The reason why Balaam was successful, he's like, look, he talks to his boss. Look, I, uh, I know you're paying me to do a job. I can't do the job because I'm trying to use this prophetic gift. But the problem is that God is in control of prophetic messages. A pro- I can't do it. But I have an idea. Let's introduce lust into the camp. And that's exactly what uh, Balaam did. He began to introduce freedom into the camp. Freedom. Freedom to sleep around with whoever you want to sleep around with. Balaam, the way of Balaam introduces seduction, specifically in this case, the desires of the flesh, sexual desires, and uh, it works. It worked for Balaam. Basically, he just hired a bunch of hookers, and it took down the children of God. And he got paid a pretty penny to do so. Verse 19. They promise the freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. Okay? Get this. They're slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever, uh, whatever has mastered him. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they escape the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it uh, to turn their backs on the sacred command which was passed on to them. So these guys actually knew the Lord, but they got enticed by money. And this is kind of a scary thought, right? But what we need to know what applies to us today is this little snippet that says, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. So whenever freedom is preached, what does the Bible say about freedom? Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? It's true. It's biblical. It's a biblical truth. It's a biblical promise. So is grace. Does that mean that we have the grace and the freedom to live like whatever we want to live like? Is this giving us the freedom to sleep with whoever we want to sleep with? To drink whatever we want to drink without moderation? Is this giving us the freedom to cheat on our taxes? What, re- really? Remember when you were young. Which, I, for me, it was like last week. And... <laughs> Remember when you were young, high school, maybe junior high, definitely college age. Remember when you first began to sow your wild oats, when you, you know, stretched your wings a little bit and maybe expressed some freedom? Some of us uh, did a little bit more than others. And freedom is freeing. Whenever you're like, oh, you know what, I'm going to, oh gosh, I I am not. Looking for, I have a 10-year-old I do not want to see this day where my child wants to be free from the oppression of her parents. But do you remember being under the, the oppression of your slave masters, your parents, and you first got free of them and you got to do whatever you wanted to do? You had no curfew and you wanted to experience life in all of its fullness through fun stuff. Remember that? It is actually freeing to experience ecstasy with the foreign substance. Is it not? It's freeing to go around and do whatever you want to do whenever you feel like doing it. it, it, it that sense of freedom is actually liberating. But here's the trick. Here's the, here's the trap. Are you still free if you continue to snort coke over and over and over again? No, you're not, right? Guess what happens? It becomes your master. It be- you become its slave. And uh, you know, drugs is the easy illustration, but it can be just about anything. You can you can be a slave to anything in your life that masters you. Money can be your master. Image can be your master. So what is it? How are you able to truly experience freedom? There's only one way, and that is through being a bondservant of Christ. (laughs) But they have left the straight way and they have On the way of Balaam, in the church, there's basically two types of deception. There's the way of Balaam, and there's the way of Cain. Again, the way of Balaam is this: uh, the the desire, the greasy grace, right? Anything's good. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, so therefore you can continue to sin as much as you want to continue to experience God's grace. Rasputin was a master of this. You know who Rasputin is? The Russian monk during the Romanov time period. Uh, there was a cartoon done about it, if it doesn't remember. You know, what was that cartoon? Anastasia, thank you. <laughs> yes. So Rasputin's philosophy, this was a monk. His philosophy was, I am going to sin so that God's grace may abound more. So I want to experience God's forgiveness, so I'm going to go get myself a hooker. That's what he literally believed. I know God will forgive me, and I want to experience God's grace. It will bound more and more, so I'm just going to sin more and more, right? This is the way of Balaam. And then the way of Cain is similar but opposite. The way of Cain is no freedom at all. You have to earn your way into heaven. You have to sow. Your sacrifice is yours that you gave to God, and you bought him off. You have, you have worked your way up. And your salvation is completely dependent upon your own merits and your own goodness. Your goodness is good enough to get you into heaven because you deserve it. Right? There's are the two deceptions of the church. One is a very uh, liberating, freeing, loosey-goosey, greasy grace feeling. The other one is a very heavy, oppressive, uh, rules-based religion and they both sneak in. Uh, Peter specifically is addressing the first. Paul spends a lot of time addressing the latter. Um, Whenever the term blasphemy is used, whenever Paul is unleashing this statement of blasphemy, do you ever know anybody that's blasphemous? In context, biblical context, for the most part, Probably 70 percent of the time, blasphemy is reserved for overly religious people. The true form of blasphemy is saying you don't need Jesus; you can do it on your own. Grace isn't required. Well, that's the that's the main idea behind it. All right. So after uh, Paul or Peter is done calling uh, these prophets' names like animals and saying that they eat their own vomit and they wall around their own mud, Um, here's the great part. Again, we're working backwards. Chapter 1, verse uh, 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. His divine power is giving you everything. So probably by now you feel like there's just no way I'm gonna be able to do it. I'm I don't know how to move forward. You ever feel like that? I don't know the way out, Lord. I don't know how to move forward. I don't know when I'm being overly religious or overly free. How do I how do I do this, Lord? He says, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us the very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Underline this in your Bibles. You've got permission to uh, defile your Bible here by underlining this. The divine nature. We need to get the divine nature deep inside of us. Not rules. Divine nature. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So let's add to our faith. Let's add goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, this is everybody's favorite, self-control. Okay, who's writing this again? Mr. Self-Control himself, right? And to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Love. Remember what First John said about love. God is love. And if you remain in his love, he will remain in you. That's a big deal. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. I I recommend you underline that one too. If you, in increasing measure. If you have these things in your life and they are increasing... They will keep you from being ineffective, unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you ready for this, you will never fail. What an incredible promise this is exactly the, the the same direction sentiment even the same virtues that Paul tells us in Galatians 5 in the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness and self-control. These, these virtues are very similar, right? The, the fruit of the Spirit and this di- divine nature, we're talking about the same thing. They even translate across very well with the one exception that Peter talks about knowledge and, John, uh, and Paul does not. So if we are increasing in these things, if we make the decision to grow... In this divine nature, if we make the decision to grow in the fruit of the spirit, the promise of God is is that we will never fail. Uh, Peter ends with love, right? In his divine nature, here are his little uh, seven gifts of the spirit, fruit of the spirit, excuse me. Paul begins with love, so love is the bookend to all of these virtues, all of these gifts, and we are to increase. Remember what he said at the beginning in chapter 3? I'm here, I'm I'm writing to you to stimulate your thinking. You must think about these things things. Think about goodness. Think about perseverance. Think about faith. You must think about these good things. How do you know if you are increasing in your faith? How do you know if you are growing spiritually? How do you know? I believe that it all depends on how we are defining ourselves. You didn't catch it because I didn't catch it the first time, but I need to highlight this. I need to make a point of it. Like this is key to the understanding this. And verse nine it says, "And he, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins." I'll read it again. But if anyone does not have them, these virtues, these attributes, these gifts, this fruit—if if anybody does not have them—he is nearsighted, blind, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins. So, how, what is your awareness of your own sin? Do you still remember the sins that you committed in college? Do they still make you feel guilty? Do you remember all the horrible things that you did to your parents when you were a kid? Do you still feel guilty about that? When you cheated on your taxes a couple of years ago, does that, do you feel guilty about that? Look, there is a, there's a time, there's a tinge, there's a, there's a momentary guilt, but we have to come to the realization that we are sinners saved by grace. It's a one-time deal, and you are all believers. Look, what he's trying to tell us is that if you have forgotten that your sins have been cleansed, then you need to grow in these in, in the fruit of the spirit. You need to grow in the divine nature. Because when we step and we begin to grow in God's divine nature, our awareness of our sinful selves begin to decrease and our identity as sinners begins to go away. and We begin to step into our purpose of becoming children of God. Living holy lives. Acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. There was a tweet that was put out this week, probably I think it was yesterday or day before yesterday, from one of the most influential Christian writers of our century, somebody that I respect dearly, but this tweet rubbed me the wrong way because the tweet said that congregations are full of sinners. And congregations need to understand that they are sinners, but congregations also need to understand that their pastor is a sinner. Right? Okay, true statement actually But you want to know what else he should have quoted or tweeted? That congregations are full of saints. And leaders are gifted by God with spiritual gifts. That's what he should have said. Because once we begin to understand what God has called us into and believe it, once we believe that we are children of God and that that sin no longer has us in bondage, we believe that, we become that. And once we continue to believe and even utter with our mouth, we hear this all the time with Christians. Oh, I'm a sinner. I hear, this is the one that I hear all the time whenever I'm talking with people. Pastor Josh, I am not a good person. I hear this one all the time. I am not a good person. And you begin to declare that. You begin to think that. And you begin to believe that. You begin to become that. And what, what Paul is telling us, what Jesus is telling us, he's saying, no. Let me stimulate your thinking. You need to change that think, stinking thinking to believing that you are a child of God saved by the grace, and that the only reason why your sin still exists is because you think about it. Because what the Bible says is that it is whitewashed, that it has been obliterated from the history books. Jesus himself doesn't even remember your failings and your sins. If Jesus is willing to forget it, you should too. So the challenge and the practical application for us today is to grow in ever increasing knowledge and wisdom and goodness and kindness and patience and self-control. Right? I think what's going on is it If you felt like you've leveled off spiritually, how do you grow? You grow by developing your character. This is not workspace religion. This is choosing to become a better person. Does that make sense? You are not earning God's grace. You're not getting you're not getting heaven points here. When you pursue goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, it's not karma points. It's developing the character of Christ, the mind of Christ that is already inside of you. The fullness of God, the fullness of Jesus, and the fullness of the Father is already inside of you. We get to flesh it out through the the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. All right, I forgot the band come to the front. Those are on their way up. We are going to pray. And it is good not to pray alone. And it is, we are the type of church that believes in miracles. We believe that God came to save the lost. We believe that he came to heal the sick. We believe that he came to set the oppressed free. If you feel like you are oppressed, God is here to set you free today. If you are dealing with sickness and illness Maybe your day will be like a minute today and God will heal you within a second. I believe it. If you need a miracle in your finances, if you need a miracle in your relationships, don't do it alone. You need people around you. You need to let people love you today. That's my encouragement. Allow people to love you. Allow people to love you today. Uh, During this song, this is the time where we go into our prayer time. We would love to partner with you in prayer. There will be prayer partners and elders that will meet you back there. That will pray for you, for whatever need you may have. But let's uh, let's just ask the Holy Spirit just to join us right now and move in a powerful way. And I'll make an invitation in the prayer. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, right now, we just invite you to minister to us in a deep level. Holy Spirit, come and touch us at our very levels of need. I pray right now that you make us kinder, more gentle, more forgiving and loving people in your name, Lord Jesus. I pray that you give us the divine nature, the the nature of Christ. And Father, if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and I, I, I ask for your forgiveness of my past sins. And if you just said those words in your mind and if you believe in your heart, you'll never have to say that again. He has forgiven you of your sins. Thank you. If, if you are now inviting Jesus into your heart for the very first time, you have become a new creation. You are transforming into God's likeness. You're transforming into the person he has designed you and called you to be. And you guess what? You get to keep your personality along with it. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you just continue to come and meet us at our point of need so that we continue to grow in the graces that God has provided. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.